Father, this morning, as an addition to that prayer, we do pray for your kingdom to come. Your will to be done in this earth, in this land, in this city, here in this house. Father, we ask for your presence. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this moment. There are things, Lord, um, that I will attempt to teach, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know, but there, there are things that only you know and only you can teach. Jesus reminded us that you would be our teacher. I pray that you would come and you would do that this morning. Speak to us, challenge our hearts, encourage our souls. Let us leave better than we came for the betterment of your kingdom in the earth. And we pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Before we get to Exodus 34, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop about what's going on, what's kind of transpiring. As most of you know, by the time we get to the middle part of Exodus, um, God has raised up a prophet by the name of Moses. And Moses uh, has been sent to the land of Egypt because in Egypt there were dominant powers and they had uh, captivated, uh, they had held in captivity and slavery the people of Israel, God's chosen people. At that time they were called the Hebrews. For centuries, hundreds of years, these men and women, and generation after generation, were raised in this element of slavery. And so at a certain point, God raises up Moses to deliver these people out of the hand of the Pharaoh, out of the Egyptian armies. And so you know the story that uh, Moses goes and God, one after another, he dismantles not only Egypt, but the religious system of Egypt. God shows himself mighty to Pharaoh, and ultimately, um, the people of Israel are released from, from captivity in Egypt. And so, God releases them, but he tells them he's not just going to leave them there, that he is going to take them to a new land that they're going to call his own. It's going to be called the promised land, because he promised the land. And so, from Egypt to the promised land, there was this incredible journey that's laid out in several of the early books of the Bible. And in one of these portions in the book of Exodus, we find so much transpiring from point A to point B. There's 40 years of history that occur here, so many events, so many victories, but so many tragic moments also. And as we approach Exodus 34, what has recently happened is that God has brought Moses up onto the mountaintop, and God has given Moses the ten words or the ten commandments, the law of God. He has he has imparted them to stone tablets. Moses comes down from the mountain of God and he sees his people. In the short time that Moses has been with God. He comes down the mountain and he sees the people. They're in utter rebellion. They've created false idols. They're worshiping. Moses, in his righteous anger and his indignation, he takes the stones and he crushes the tablets. They shatter apart. And right here in Exodus 34, what we see is Moses having a conversation with the Lord. And the Lord's saying, Moses, I want you to come back up because for historical purposes, I'm going to give you two more stone tablets, and I'm going to impart these ten words back on these tablets. And as Moses is conversing with the Lord, the Lord is talking about the commandments, and Moses inquires of the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm going to come, and that's all fine. I will, I will do everything that you've asked, but Father, I've got one request of you. God, will you allow me to see you in a way that I've never seen you before. Allow me to see your glory. And it's incredible because the Lord answers Moses 
in a positive way. He says, I will let you see my glory. Maybe not in the way that you thought, but I will let you see my glory. Now, here's what's interesting about the presence of the Lord. In a very general sense, every person on earth, every person that has ever existed experiences the presence of God in a very general sense. If they're a believer, if they're not a believer, it's, it's irrelevant. We are sustained, Colossians tells us, by the very presence of God. We, we move and exist and we have our being because of the omnipresence of God in the earth. Now, there's another level of the presence of God, which I call the concentrated presence of God, right? This is when you go into your prayer closet, when we come together as the saints of God and we worship God. Just a few minutes ago, you probably sensed the presence of God in a more concentrated way than you did when you were driving to church this morning. Does that make sense? So we have this very general experience and expression of God's presence, and then we have a very concentrated experience with God's presence. But there is a third layer of God's presence in Scripture that is called a theophany. It's a big theological word that basically means this. It means a physical manifestation of God himself. And this is exactly what Moses is asking for. Moses is saying, look, I know this hasn't happened since Adam, but I'm asking you, Lord, show me your glory in a way that I haven't seen. And what the Lord does is he grants Moses the request, but it's not just that Moses is going to see the backside of God, but Moses is going to get a secondary gift, and God is going to begin to describe himself to Moses. He's going to begin to show Moses who he is in word, and Moses is going to understand not only the physical presence of God, but he's going to understand the character and the nature of God in a way that he has never experienced it before. And so right here in Exodus 34, picking up at verse 6, the Bible says this, The Lord passed before Moses and the Lord proclaimed. So in other words, the Lord is speaking to Moses about himself. The Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the key word, faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. This idea of faithfulness is what I want to kind of camp out on this morning. As an attribute of God, it's important for us to understand that God's definition And his expression of faithfulness is another type of faithfulness than what we experience as human beings. My wife and I, Joy, we've been married for over 21 years at this point. I got married when I was 19. She was 20. I call her my cougar, okay? Um, And you know, if you have been married, if you haven't been married, it's important that you hear this out too, okay? But if you have been married, you know that the first couple of years of your marriage are some of the best times, but they can also come with some of the worst times, right? 
Um, Joy and I, we uh, rented a little apartment. It was a 700-square-foot apartment. We lived like this, basically, for that whole time. And we lived uh, on Olive Road in Pensacola, Florida. And we lived in that little apartment. And it, it, has, it carries some of the greatest memories of, of our early marriage with it. But it also carries some pretty disturbing stuff. And uh, I remember specifically one time Joy and I had gotten into a pretty severe argument. We call, we call, you know, you have different tiers of arguments in your marriage. You have like a discussion and then you have like a loud discussion and then you have an argument and then you have knockdown dragouts, right? This was the highest level of argument. It was a knockdown dragout. Now the problem is I don't even remember what it was about, right? Which is usually the case in most marriages. But we were having just uh, you know a terrible fight in our first couple of months of marriage. And um, I remember at a certain point, it was like ten o'clock at night. We had been arguing for Lord knows how long. I got to a certain point and I was like, I'm done. Okay, I'm just done. I'm done with this. I'm ending the discussion. If you want to pick it up tomorrow, we can pick it up tomorrow, but I'm done, right? And so I go in the bedroom and I grab, you know, an extra blanket and a pillow and I go and make myself a nice little pallet on the couch because I was done. What I didn't realize is that joy wasn't done. And in my ignorance, I fell fast asleep. And I fell asleep with the peace of God because in my mind, I was like, I might not have won that argument, but I ended it, right, by going to sleep. Uh, Famous last words. And so I remember being asleep. I don't remember being asleep. I remember falling asleep. And all of a sudden, at about 2.30 in the morning, I remember being awakened out of the blue. And up to that point in my life, it was one of the, the, the most physically shocking and emotionally shocking moments that I had had in my you know, entire 19 years of existence. And I remember being awakened with, with such shock and terror. See, what had happened is when I fell asleep, Joy did not fall asleep. When I was done, she was not done. And she decided while I was fast asleep that she would make her way into the kitchen. She goes into the kitchen and she finds a tea jug, like one of those, um, you know, like a a plastic jug that you put tea in, a couple liters. And she takes that jug and she goes to the freezer and she empties all of the ice into that pitcher. And then she goes to the faucet and she pours in that pitcher filled with ice the coldest water in North America, just (laughs) saturating that. And then she took the ice and just kind of stirred it. While the ice was stewing, joy was stewing, right? I mean, and you can tell where this is going. So joy comes as I'm fast asleep at 2.30 in the morning, and she takes the ice water, and she throws it directly in my face. All of it. You've seen her, right? You think she's so sweet. She's always joy. Hey, let me tell you what. She is. She is. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) She is God's greatest gift to me, without question. But let me just be incredibly honest. In that moment, as the piercing cold (laughs) dripped off of my face and onto all that I was wearing and the blanket and the couch and everything, 
as, as, as the water pours off, I, I gotta be honest, in that moment, I didn't know how faithful I wanted to be to that marriage. I'm just being honest. Like in that moment, it wasn't like, oh, maybe we should renew our vows. You know, it was no. In that moment, I was like, I don't know if I wanna be a part of this, right? It wasn't that I wanted to go have an affair or anything. It was nothing like that. But it was like, I don't know if I want to stay committed. This is crazy. I don't know if I want to stay committed to this, right? Now, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story because that incriminates me, okay? So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that part out. My, how we've grown in the last 21 years, and I thank, I thank God for it. But here's, here's the, the point that I'm trying to make. If you're honest, if you're, if you're brutally honest with yourself, there have been relationships that have gone through difficulty and you have taken a step back and you've said to yourself, I don't know if I want to be committed to this. I don't know if I want to remain faithful to this. Maybe it was a spouse or maybe it was a parent or an employer or a friend or whatever the case may be. The reality of what I'm trying to say is that all of us in our brokenness, in our human nature, in our sinfulness, we are not bent towards faithfulness. We are bent towards unfaithfulness. Our, our desire, the desire of our heart is not going through the difficulty to the other side. Our desire is to take the path of least resistance. And so it's important for us to understand our ability to be faithful, even not even our ability to be faithful, but our desires to be faithful and to understand that God is the antithesis of how we possess faithfulness. Understand that God has never experienced a moment where he was not fully and utterly committed to you and to me. There's never been a question that entered the mind of God Almighty where he thought, I don't know, man, this is tough. I don't know if I want to be faithful to this relationship. If we are a people that are bent towards unfaithfulness, we have to understand that God's natural response is faithfulness. Just because we bend a certain way does not mean that God bends that way. He is totally other than what we are as humans. It's so important that we understand that the love of God is not the love of humans. The faithfulness of God is not the faithfulness of people. The compassion of God is far superior to our levels of compassion. We have to understand that God is so different. He is so other than what we are. And so as we begin to contrast the faithfulness of God as opposed to the faithfulness of people, I want us to understand what Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2. This is what he says. He says, even if we are unfaithful, even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. And listen to this. This is why God remains faithful. Because he cannot deny who he is. Listen to me. God does not choose faithfulness. We choose faithfulness or unfaithfulness. God does not choose whether he's going to be faithful or not. It is who he is. It is the essence, the epitome of who he is, is faithfulness. 
I remember um, years ago, I had, a, I had a great pastoral friend in another city, and, and I remember so many times I would hear him give counsel to people just in passing, not like private sessions or whatever, and he would talk to them, and he would make this statement to them as, as an act of encouragement. And let me just say this. I think I understand what he was trying to communicate. I just don't think it's right, Okay. He would oftentimes say this. He would say, well, brother, if you will just be faithful to God, God will be faithful to you, right? If you will be, and what that does is this, is it pits my faithfulness against God's faithfulness. It puts us on an even plane that says, well, God will rise to his level of faithfulness if I will meet him there. And that could not be further from the truth. Even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. God's faithfulness is not affected by our lack of faithfulness. Listen, it's what pastor teaches us week in and week out. Follow me here. Pastor always says, he says there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less. There, so this is what pastor is trying to get across. He's saying, you can't be so unfaithful that God's not committed to you. And furthermore, you can't be so faithful that it earns God's faithfulness. What pastor is saying is he's saying it's irrelevant what you do regarding the love and the faithfulness of God because our lack has zero effect on his abundance. Does that make sense? And we see this all throughout. Listen, we see this all throughout scripture, right? This event we just talked about in Exodus where God raises up the, the people of Israel and leads them out of Egypt. God consistently and constantly reminds all throughout the Old Testament, he's constantly reminding them, people, look backwards towards my faithfulness. Remember what I have ripped you from and where I have planted you. Let me remind you of how good and consistent and steady and reliable I have been for you. He's constantly reminding the people. There are hundreds of reminders throughout all of scripture that reminds us of God's faithfulness. In the Old Testament, he gives us incredible, an incredible picture of his faithfulness. In the prophetic picture of the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer. Now, if you're not familiar with this, let me just remind you really quickly that Hosea was a prophet in the land of Israel. And God called Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer who had given her life to prostitution. She was a prostitute. By default, that, that is what she had, had chosen, not only as her occupation, but for survival. And so God calls this prophet to marry this woman, and not just to marry her, but to rescue her from this lifestyle so that she no longer is dependent on that to survive because now Hosea is her provider. Hosea will be faithful and he will love and he will care for her. But what ends up happening time and time again is that Gomer chooses the life of prostitution. 
She continues to run after other men and every single time that she does, Hosea runs after her. He brings her back in in his faithfulness, but then she goes out again for other men. Hosea faithfully pursues her and faithfully brings her back. And the essence of what God is trying to paint in this portrait is this, is that my love for you is similar to the love that Hosea has for Gomer. It doesn't matter matter how unfaithful you are to me, my faithfulness for you will remain. In the New Testament, Jesus gives us this parable. We call it, we call it the, uh, uh, the, parable, the parable of the prodigal son. I think it should really be called the parable of the faithful father, though. Because this story has far more to do with the character of the father than it does the character of the son. Right, And so you see this where Jesus tells the story of this, this, this son who is just loved and adored, but yet he rebels against his father and he chases after the things of this world. He chases after indulgence. He chases after all this stuff. But time and time again, the father stands at the door waiting for the son just to turn back, just to turn. Not even to start walking back, but just to turn back. And as soon as he begins to turn back, the father rushes him and brings him back in. God is explaining to us that his level of faithfulness is far superior than our level of faithfulness. John, the apostle, the beloved, he would be banished to the Isle of Patmos. As he's there, he receives on the Lord's day the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in chapter 19. He says, I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on the horse is called faithful and true. It is not a choice that God makes to be faithful. God is not given to his emotions whether or not he will remain committed. He is forever. It is his name. It is who he is. It is the essence of who he is. And here's what I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit. Understanding the faithfulness of God and how superior it is to the faithfulness of humans, I want us to understand that it does not negate our responsibility to be faithful. Does that make sense? So God is forever faithful regardless of how faithful I am, but I still own, as a son or a daughter of God, I still own the responsibility that I must be faithful to what God has called me to be faithful to. As a son or daughter, I now have the DNA, the spiritual DNA of God coursing through my veins, and thus I must serve my part in his kingdom and for his purposes. You remember in John 15, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he uses this metaphor and he says, listen, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you want to bear the fruit of God, the character of God, if you want to bear this fruit, you must stay tethered to me. The branch must stay a part of the vine in order to bear fruit. And so as the story continues, Jesus makes this point. He says, but apart from me, you can do nothing, right? He says, there's an expectation of faithfulness on you and all these different characteristics. There's this expectation, but if you're a branch and I'm the vine and you disassociate with me, you're not gonna bear any of that fruit, right? So Jesus is calling the people, stay in the presence of God, stay tethered to me, stay connected to the vine. Paul, just a few years later, 
Paul picks up on this metaphor of the vine branch and the fruit, and this is what Paul says. Paul says, when we are connected with the Spirit of God, when we stay connected to the vine, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, as long as you stay connected to the presence of the Lord, the byproduct of that is that you're going to bear spiritual fruit. That, like you're going to be, you're just gonna be naturally at just from being in God's presence. You're going to be more loving. You're going to be more patient. You're going to be more faithful. But what I want to drive home a little bit is, is this. Although as I stay in God's presence connected to the vine, I begin to bear the fruit of love. But just because I begin to bear the fruit of love, I still have to choose love. Just because as a byproduct, I'm a little more patient, I still have to choose to be patient with my children. Just because I begin to bear the fruit of faithfulness, I still have to choose day in and day out to be a faithful person. And you know this as well as I know this, that current Western culture does not promote the idea or the concept of faithfulness. As a matter of fact, not only is it not promoted, but it's almost demoralized in that people who choose to be faithful are often seen as weaker individuals. As a matter of fact, most of our culture, the only thing that we would probably say that we are faithful to is how we feel. And it doesn't matter how you feel and it doesn't matter if there is anything that speaks against that. If you feel it, be faithful to it. That is clearly, clearly not the way of the Lord. And so as a result, what we have is we have a culture where it's very difficult to find people that you can describe as faithful people. It's very, listen to me, do you guys, do you remember years ago when you would turn on the news and one of the ways that they would sell you, like their promotion, they would sell you to watch this news channel is they would say a trusted, reliable source. You remember that? Guess who ain't saying that no more? None of them. There's no trust. There's no credibility. Even in our political government, I'm sure there are good and godly people within that are trustworthy and faithful. But in large measure, there's corruption there. Social media is not helping our case, you know. So, so we've got this, 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 this big issue where God has called his people to be faithful, but as we look and survey the land, we struggle to find people who are truly faithful. We struggle to find people who are committed beyond their feelings to their responsibilities, to their commitments, to do what they say that they will do. And I just wanna remind us today that in the world that we live where chaos swirls and instability abounds, God has called us to be stability. God has called the church, his sons and daughters, he has called us to be people who were consistent. 
We are called to be trustworthy individuals. Our word is called to be our bond. What we say we will do, we are called to be faithful to do. Why? Because we are tethered to the vine. And as he is faithful, naturally the birthing of faithfulness comes forth from us. Or at least it should. And so today, just for the next few minutes, I want to I talk to you for a little bit about two major categories in which God requires faithfulness from us, okay? Now, let me say this. Before we get into this, um, this is not a comprehensive list. I'm not gonna talk about everything, but I am gonna talk about a few things that God has a higher level of expectation for us on. But, but let me just say this. Um, don't be like one of my children um, a couple of years ago, we took them to the doctor. They were, I think they were getting a tetanus shot or something like that. They were ill. They had to get a shot. And um, as a, the nurse went to give them the shot, you could tell they were super nervous. And they were like, oh, you know, don't, it's going to hurt. And the nurse said, yes, it's going to hurt, but it's going to help, right? And so the nurse gave them the shot. And as soon as they gave them the shot, the, my child went, boom, and just punched the nurse, right? <laughs> just punched the nurse. I was mortified, Right? And, and the nurse was just like, okay, I, I guess they're used to that kind of stuff, especially today. They're used to that kind of attitude. But the nurse, the, the, what the nurse was trying to say is, yes, it will hurt, but ultimately it's going to help. Okay? So I'm going to say this. Some of the things I may address today, yes, it may hurt. And that's not my intention. Please hear my heart. That is not my intention. My intention is to help. Okay? But sometimes in order to help, it has to hurt a little bit. Does that make sense? So, so please don't react and like punch me in the face when I give you this shot in the arm, okay? And please don't react. Uh, actually, you can, again, once again, if you need to email your complaints, frustrations, Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, two N's, at clcolumbia.com, and he will, I, I will be glad to take care of that for you. The first level of responsibility, excuse me, the first level of faithfulness is an area that I would call in our responsibilities, Part of our responsibilities happen in the workplace, in our employment, where we, where we serve our employees or as an employee. And I want to remind you of what Colossians chapter 2 says. This is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for people. Now, the question is this, Corey, why are you talking to us about our workplace? Why does, you know, where I'm at, and this is the reason why. Especially in the day in which we live, there is a world, a sea of humanity that is lost without a savior. And Jesus has called us to be the light of the world. And so as people see our life and our faithfulness or our lack of faithfulness, they point that and even though it's incorrect, they put that on Jesus as if this is what Jesus represents. And thus, we bear the weight of that responsibility even in our workplace. So we must be a people who work with all of our heart as for the Lord, not for people. I remember when I was a new Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18. And man, I, I, I was devouring God's word. I mean, just devouring God's word. And I remember coming across this 
portion of scripture and it was a total paradigm shift for me, even as a, as a kid. And I worked at a Ford dealership. It was called Orville Beckford Ford dealership in Milton, Florida. And uh, I was a parts runner. And so the way that would look, I would go to the warehouse where they would have these, you know, thousands and thousands of auto parts. And the guys in the front office would sell, you know, a carburetor and they would say, hey, Corey, I need you to take this and run it to this mechanic or this dealership or whatever. And, and so as I, you know, did what my part as a runner, what I found is that there was a tremendous amount of dead time in that job, right? Because if the guys up front weren't selling, I was sitting, right? I was just, you know, I didn't know. I was just sitting around, you know, kind of doing nothing. And I remember having a revelation that, that totally changed my life when I read this portion of scripture. And I remember I began to think, I am not working for my boss. I am working for my master. I'm not working for a bunch of somebodies. I'm working for someone, right? And so I started to position myself in such a way. And so I remember I'd be in the warehouse. Like, and you got you to gotta understand this warehouse, they're like dungeons. Nobody goes back there. They send me. They're like, hey, go, go back there. You know, nobody wants to go back there. There are rats and snakes and all kinds of things. And, and I remember I was just like, I got to suck this up. I, gotta, I, got, I need to be faithful to what God's word says I should be faithful to. And so I just started going. And I, I would like start facing the shelves, you know, of all these things and dusting off the shelves that have, that have never been dusted in 40 years, you know, and sweeping and mopping. And the guys in the front, they're coming back and they're just like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're the only person that ever comes back here, right? You're the only person that's ever going to see it. And I remember... As I, as, I, as I made that commitment to be faithful as an employee, I remember that the favor of God began to settle on my life in a way I'd never experienced before. All of a sudden, and I mean, I mean within a short window, I began to see opportunities of employment open up. I remember promotions would, would, would begin to come. I would just have favor with people I had never had favor for. And listen, this is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say this, is that as we are faithful to be good employees, the favor of God begins to rest on our lives. And listen to me say this, there's no level of education, intellect, it doesn't matter who you know, none of that can match the favor of God that rests on your life. None of it can God will make ways where no man can as we pursue faithfulness. Listen to what Proverbs 3 says. The writer says this, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then, this is what he's saying. He's saying when you possess the love of God and you begin to operate in faithfulness, at that point, you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and in the sight of man. And let me, just, let me just further say this. There is a difference between being a faithful Christian and being a faithful employee. Now, one should beget the other, okay? Please understand, hear everything I gotta say before just taking one little piece. Let me, and let me just say this. Being faithful as an employee does not necessarily mean witnessing to every person that passes by, all right? Now, I'm not, that may be part of what God has called you to do. I do not want, I, I think you should do that if you ever feel led. I think you should pray for every person you feel led. But I'm just saying this, you can pray for every person that comes through the door but be a terrible employee, 
right? And, and God has called us not just to be faithful Christians or faithful witnesses. He's called us to be good employers so that people can see the light that projects from us that will draw them and give glory to the Heavenly Father. And so Martin Luther one time got into a discussion with, with some guys about work and, you know, what is it, what's the difference between a good employer and a faithful witness and all this? And this is what he said. This is the distinction that he makes, an illustration he gives. He says, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes. You understand the difference? He's not saying don't put crosses on shoes and be a good witness. He's not saying that. He's just saying don't just do that. He's saying do that as a witness if you want to, but also make good shoes. Be a good employee, be dependable, be on time, be faithful, work hard. Do the things that God has called us to do so that we can be the light. He has called us to a level of faithfulness in this area. He's called us to a level of faithfulness in our ministries. The Apostle Peter says this, he says, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One translation says, as faithful stewards, use your giftings well to serve one another. And listen to me say this, I know in a church this size, we have spiritual giftings that are on every single level. We have people that are, you know, at the highest levels of maturity in their spiritual gifting, and it just trickles on down to, to people who feel like their spiritual giftings are insignificant, and they're small, and they don't matter. But I want to remind you all that if God gave you a gift, it's because the body of believers needs the gift right? Let me tell you what, on a battlefield, especially in the centuries gone by, do you know who one of the most important people on that field was? It wasn't the mightiest warrior. It wasn't the one who was most skilled in combat. It was the water boy who never gets glory. Because if the water boy wasn't present, you got men who were dying and exhausted because they weren't hydrated. And so I just want to tell you, on a battlefield, like this. Man, I'm t I, I just can't reiterate this enough. You are so needed. Your gifting is so needed. Do not underestimate the gift of God that he has set inside of you. And be a faithful steward. Do what he has called you to do. Be faithful with it. And so it affects, it affects all these levels of our responsibility, but probably a little more difficult is the second category I want to talk about is in regard to our relationships, okay? I want to talk to you for a minute about faithfulness in marriage. And I want to, I want to remind us that being faithful in marriage does not just mean being sexually pure. That's not what that means. I mean, it includes that. The, writers of, the, the writer of Proverbs, he would say, look, hey men, drink from your own well. Only share your love with your wife, right? So, so it does include sexual fidelity. It does include being monogamous and committed to either one husband or one wife. It does include that, but it goes far beyond that. Far beyond that. Faithfulness in marriage involves an emotional investment,
It involves inquiry. It involves being involved in the other person's life and in their living. It is this effort of being better, of pushing through. Listen to me. Marriage is hard, right? If you've ever been married, you understand. If you've been married for like more than like 14 minutes, you understand it's tough, right? You heard my story. The water, all that. It's hard. It's hard stuff. Listen to me say this. If you have two people that are committed to faithfulness, that are committed to having hard conversations, that are committed to self-sacrificing themselves, who are committed to loving beyond their emotions, if you have two people that are committed to faithfulness, God will ensure that that marriage is fruitful. God will ensure, that needed some more amens, man. Um, My wife and I, a couple of months ago, we decided to do something goofy, which is really silly, and we decided to get on social media, like we have date nights like once a week, or we, we really try to, and we started doing this thing that she calls our Tuesday two minute marriage talks. Tuesday two-minute marriage talks. And so we get on Instagram or whatever, and we'll just highlight like a principle in marriage and all this. And what started as telling like funny stories about our marriage and all this kind of stuff, it became something a little bit more ministry-minded than that that we honestly weren't expecting. Like every time, like we didn't do it this last week, and we've got people like in the DMs, and they're like, are you guys okay? You didn't do the marriage talk and everything? I'm like, dude, we're good, you know? We're just too busy dating, you know? Um, And stuff. Um, So... As we, as we did this, what we began to see is that we would begin getting all these private messages from people who were married, husbands and wives, asking a lot of questions and, and just, you know, what do I do in this situation? How do you feel about this? Let me tell you about the situation I'm struggling with and all this kind of stuff. And it's really become more of like a ministry than, uh, you know, just goofiness turns into ministry, which is great. But the point is this, is that what, what I have found over the past couple of months is that time and time again, as we're talking to people that are struggling with different things in their marriage, the, the conversation that we're having with these people oftentimes ends up boiling down to the same thing, right? It may look like this or look like that or whatever, but ultimately this is what our conversation is. It, we're saying to other people, keep showing up. Keep fighting, keep loving, Keep giving, keep doing, keep on keeping on. And in your faithfulness, God will produce fruitfulness. Because I'm going to tell you this, I know, you know, especially when you're young and you're married, you see all these couples that, man, it looks like their lives are perfection. You see them on socials and you're just like, oh, God, I want a picture like that. And I just, they're so in love. Listen to me, baby. Listen. For every marriage that you see that is fruitful, There are years of faithfulness that go unseen. And all I'm saying is this, is that if you want the fruitfulness, you've got to pay the price in the faithfulness. You've got to be faithful in investment in the marriage if you want to see the fruitfulness. We have got to stop being so short-sighted. 
we get so consumed with what is happening right now and the major issues that are happening right now that we forsake seeing what our marriages and families could look like five years from now if we will just faithfully plow through. We have got to become a people who are farsighted and see the potential as we remain faithful to God. Number two, in relationships, we've got to remember to be faithful to our children. The psalmist reminds us that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward. They are a reward. It's as if God looked at Pastor Justin and he said, man, I love you so much. You are so faithful. I want to reward you. Here's four babies for you. You know, and Pastor Justin's like, whoa, you know, he's got all these kids. To be faithful with our children means to be involved. It means to be invested. It means to care about the things they care about, not just the things I care about. It means to care about their dreams and their desires, not just what my dreams are for them. It means to pray for my kids. It means to teach my kids the way that they should go, to lead them in godliness. This is, and listen to me, this isn't, you know, Corey's preference hour, okay? This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Time and time again, parents are called, grandparents are called to faithfulness with their children. But outside of all these, the, the relationship we're called to at the greatest level of faithfulness is with our God. Now, let me pause real quick and jump back for a second. I need to give a disclaimer, especially when I'm talking about marriage or friendships or whatever. Um, no one is suggesting that you just remain faithful in a physically abusive relationship. Okay, nobody is suggesting that whatsoever. Nobody is suggesting that you just be faithful in a friendship where they're constantly slandering you, gossiping and stabbing you in the back, trying to cheat, you know, get your husband to cheat you know, on you. Nobody is suggesting that you remain faithful to those. But listen to me say this, if God has, which is the, a very small minority of all relationships. So I'm speaking in a very general sense. Does that make sense? Because in this room, I would venture to say that almost 100% of us, if we are married, are married in relationships where we're not being physically abused. Does that make sense? And so I just want to bring a little bit of clarity there because I think that's very, very important, okay? Back on it. The most important relationship that we are called to faithfulness is with our God. Psalm 101, this is what the Lord says. He says, I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, I will search for Christians to be my companions. He doesn't say, I will search for SESL students in their second year living in apartment 408 to be my companions. He doesn't say, I'm going to search Christian life for my companions. He says this, I will search for faithful people to be my companions. And I wanna, I wanna take just a moment and I want to say something about our allegiance to Jesus as our Lord. 
as we live in an increasingly hostile culture, not just toward Christian values or Christian beliefs, but our culture is increasingly hostile towards Christians, a person who names the name of Christ. And listen to me say, if, if we, we do not live at a level of persecution in the United States that we should be complaining about. There, there, there are Christians all around the world that are being slaughtered today. In this moment, as we sit in the AC, their, their lives are being ended. Their children are being taken and molested. We are not experiencing persecution at that level. But let me just say this. If we believe scripture, if we believe Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation and as Paul talks about perilous times, if we truly believe what scripture says, we understand that those times are approaching. It's evident now more than it ever has been in American culture that this could be a possibility in our land. And listen to me as, as, like, as a brother to you, as a, as a pastor, but as a brother. Listen to me say this. I know right now so many things are so important to you and to me. I know right now our opinions about so many things are buried deeply inside of us and, and we are willing to fight and to die for certain things. I know that which political party you represent is so important to you right now and it should be. And I know right now how you feel about the virus and the vaccination is so important to you right now and maybe it should be. But let me remind you that there's coming a time where none of that's going to matter. You hear me say this. Christian, your life is not dependent on what our government does or does not do. It is not dependent on medication. It's not dependent on the societal norms. It is not dependent on these things. Our allegiance is not to political parties. Our allegiance is not to medical science. Our allegiance is to Jesus and Christ alone. That's where our allegiance is. Now listen to me. Listen to me say this. Do not misunderstand me. Those things are important, but they are less important. And if they are in competition with your allegiance to Christ, there's a problem. There's a problem of idolatry. And we need to ask the spirit of the living God to root that junk out of us and make us a faithful people. Because God is coming for such a people as this. I'm gonna tell you, if we believe all these things are coming to pass, I'm reminded of what John saw in Revelation. He said, listen, the, the people that were being persecuted he said they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb. They overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony. But they overcame the enemy because they did not love their lives unto death. And all I'm saying is this. There's coming a day, and you mark my words, there's coming a day. It may not be in my lifetime or your lifetime. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day where our allegiance to so many things is going to have to fall by the wayside. And the only allegiance that's going to matter is what you do with Jesus. It's the only one that's going to matter. 
for me, as, as a pastor at this great church, as a, as a brother in Christ to you, I want us to have that allegiance today. Not when we're forced to make decisions. I want that allegiance to rise to the surface now, not later. Because it's only then when our allegiance to Christ supersedes all other allegiances, that is when we begin to walk in the destiny that God has called us to be. As a remnant church, I'm telling you, that's the only time that it, that it causes. Glenn at clcolumbia.com. Okay. <laughs> I'm closing. I want to show you a couple photos really quickly. In the south of France, there are enormous and vast vineyards that exist there. This is where much of the world gets their, not only their jams and such, but predominantly their wines is from the south of France. And earlier this year, there was an abnormal weather event that kind of descended in the south of France. And it was, the cold fronts were much colder. Uh, the weather was a little more severe. And what ended up happening is that the cold weather brought frost to the vines, the branches, and the fruit. And so the vineyard managers, they quickly realized that if we don't do something, we're going to lose all of our fruit. We're going we're to lose all of our crops. We're going to lose all of this fruit. And so quickly, they started developing these contraptions. As you can see, uh, this is like a little canister. The others are little sticks. They're all kind of things, tiki torches. Um, I think I have another photo that, that's a different type of, of fire. I mean, look how beautiful and majestic that looks. But even as beautiful as that looks, when you understand this, this is not simply fire for aesthetic purposes. These vineyard owners, they came to a point where they realized this. If we don't fight to protect our fruit, we will lose our fruit. If we don't fight to protect the fruit of the Spirit, the frost is coming. Listen to me. Faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness, it requires fight. It requires fight. It requires being beyond ourselves, getting after it. It requires endurance like we have never seen before. And I'm going to simply just remind us of this as, as I close. That if you want the fruit of a lot of things tomorrow, you just got to simply be faithful today. If you want a healthy, godly, fruitful marriage, you've got to be godly and faithful today. If you want opportunity and fruitfulness as an employee or an employer tomorrow, you need to be a good employee today. If you want good and godly friends and community to surround your life tomorrow, you want that fruit, you got to be faithful today to be a good and godly friend yourself. We have to choose if we want to see the fruit of all of this, and we all do. There's nobody in this room that's like, man, I just really hope my marriage will fall apart. Nobody. If you do, we got another problem. Nobody is thinking, man, I, I hope in the next you know, year I can lose like two jobs. I really hope I'll get fired twice. Nobody thinks like that. It's illogical. It's not normal. We all want fruitfulness.
But if we want to possess the fruitfulness, we've got to be faithful today. We've got to do what's required of us today. And listen to me say this, it's not always easy. As a matter of fact, it's rarely easy. Usually, it is the most difficult path that we must take in order to fulfill what God has called us to do. I'm going to tell you a little story as a close. And I'm going to ask for your graciousness because this is a, an embarrassing story for me to tell you. Um, when I graduated high school, I graduated in 1998. Yeah, all the kids over there was like, last century? What? <laughs> this guy should be in a museum. <laughs> I graduated in 1998, and I did not graduate high school in a traditional way. I graduated from an adult high school because I just had, I had a lot of issues in high school. Now, I did graduate a year early, but I graduated a year early just because they wanted to get me out of the adult high school, <laughs> okay? And um, I graduated high school with a 2.3 GPA, okay? I'm like Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man, <laughs> okay? Um, I graduated high school with a 2.3 GPA, which is I mean, if you graduated with less than that, I'm not shaming you or anything like that. I'm just saying that's, that's not something anybody ever brags about, right? You don't show up at dinner and somebody's like, I graduated, you know, magnum cula, and somebody says, oh, I had a 2.3, almost 2.4. Nobody brags about that. <laughs> so I graduated with 2.3 GPA. I tried to go to community college for a couple of semesters, and I, I think I registered for like six different courses and I only finished one, okay? I dropped out of the other ones. I got married, got into ministry, forgot about education, all that stuff, because frankly, I just didn't really care, okay? I, I was doing what I knew God had called me to do and I was, I was settled with that. Because I'm just gonna, and, and let me just say this, um, I think that there, there are, I don't think education means anything in the Christian life in this regard. I don't think it makes someone better or worse. I think it all depends on what God has called you to do as an individual. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to. <clears throat> so at the age of 35, I was married, two kids at that time. Now we got like 75, 80, something like that. Now we have a bunch more. But I had two kids, I was 35. And I sensed that God was calling me to go back and finish my education. I had already been serving in ministry for like 15 years, the fruitful ministry, serving here at this church. And I remember feeling that. And so I asked pastor to go to lunch with me one day. We went to Jalisco, which is like the best Mexican restaurant close by. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're telling stories, you're like, oh, don't say that, and you already said it. So um, I love real Mexico too. And I sat with pastor, and I said, pastor, I know this is crazy. In the same conversation, I talked to him about the desire to adopt children that Joy and I felt were, was a call in our life in the same conversation. I, told him, I said, pastor, I know this sounds crazy. I said, I know I'm 35. I have three college credits to my name, but I feel like God's calling me to, to finish my education. 
And pastor, of course, was like the most supportive, you know, person on the planet, just like, we will do whatever we got to do to make it happen. I'll, you know, you just tell me what you need, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. I, I received his blessing. And in, you know, a few years ago, I started this long journey in my undergrad. And I tell you, it was, it was not easy, right? I knew God had called me to it, so I knew I wanted to be faithful to do it, but it was not easy. As a matter of fact, I always struggled with, with math, like in high school and stuff. I failed algebra twice in high school. At a certain point, they were just like, put this kid in algebra two, just get him out of my hair, you know, so they let me pass. But I always struggled with math. At the end of my undergrad, I had one course standing between me and graduation, and it was an algebra course. I hired a tutor from this church, a grown one. Listen to me. You talk about humbling experiences. This was the most embarrassing, humbling. And then she, I remember she's sitting at the table. And, my, you know, my wife was an amazing cheerleader. But we'd be sitting at the table, and this, this lady would try to tell me things. She would look at me and say, does that make sense? And I would just be like, it's another language. It's math and it has letters and apostrophes. What? No, it doesn't make sense. And my wife, as supportive as she was, I'd hear another and she'd be like, <laughs> you know, laughing. And, uh, and I remember, man, I just said, I, I got to be faithful. I finished my undergrad. I felt God's pursuit. I felt God's call to pursue a higher level of education. I thought, I hate, I hate school. I hate school. Why are you doing this? You know? And... I remember going through a master's program and, and last year, I know a lot of bad stuff came out of 2020, okay? But I'm gonna tell you, I got a new baby. I celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary and I, I earned two master's degrees in 2020, okay? Now, hold on, sorry. You guys, please hear my heart of hearts. I have prayed this through. I am not saying this to impress you, okay? Trust me, this is far more humiliating than, than anything else. I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm saying this to encourage you. Because listen to me, if God has called you to do something, I know this sounds so cheesy and so cliche, but if God has called you to do something, he will see to it that you do it. If you will remain faithful to do it. And listen to me, it takes endurance, man. You know, this is higher education. You know, the, the further I go along in higher education, and by the way, I'm, I'm just under a, or just outside of a year finishing my doctorate, okay? So God has taken me all the way, but let me say this, let me say this. There have been so many times I've gone in Pastor Glenn's office because we went through this journey together. I've gone in Pastor Glenn's office and I'm just like, I hate school. Like, this is stupid. Nobody cares about any of this. Uh, like, what is this doing to my life? I haven't slept in three years. What is going on? I say, I just want to quit. I am so sick of doing this. And Pastor Glenn, you know how gentle he is. He'd just be like, come on, buddy. You got this, you know. <laughs> and uh, listen to me. Listen to me say this. What I learned, what I learned through this journey is that oftentimes faithfulness just looks like endurance. I mean, there's work. Don't get me wrong. But listen to me. You, you don't have to be an, an extremely intelligent person to finish college educations. You don't. You just don't. Look, you don't. 
But you do have to have a level of tenacity. You've got to be able to endure. I call it the canyons of crap. I'm just walking through the crap just to endure, just to finish. But listen to me. Listen to me say this, and I'm, and I'm closing. Listen to me say this. You've got to have the stick to the endurance to fulfill not what somebody else is wanting you to do, but what God has called you to do to fulfill your destiny. Listen to me, with my children, when it comes to like education, I have no expectations of my children. I don't care if they ever go to college. I want them to do something they're passionate about and will serve the purposes of God in their generation. Whether they ever go to university or not, I could care less. I want purpose fulfilled in their lives. This is not an advocation of that, but I will say this, whatever it involves, I have an expectation that they be faithful to it. Whatever it involves, whatever it looks like, I want you to be faithful to get it done. And sometimes faithfulness just looks like enduring. In marriages, relationships, work, all this stuff, sometimes, especially in the tough times, it's just about putting your head down and enduring through the stuff. And as we do, you will begin to see the purposes of God manifest in your life. You'll begin to see the fruit of the Spirit become more evident. You'll see more opportunity. You will begin to see a life that you never envisioned. I'm telling you this, in this day, we are called to be those people. There's no credibility. There's no stability. We are those people. As the Lord searches through the earth for faithful people, my prayer is his eyes stop in this house. Will you stand with me real quickly? Father, I wanna, I wanna say thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness eclipses any level of commitment that we can even imagine. And I wanna pray for every heart here that has struggled with feeling like they've let God down and now God feels differently about them. Father, I pray that you'd send that lie back to hell. May truth be declared in every heart. May the spirit remind us of your goodness and your love, your compassion, your faithfulness. My prayer, Lord, is that as your people, we'll be a people of faithfulness. We'll be a people who can be counted trustworthy and reliable and consistent with you and with everybody we come in contact with. God, do that work. It's such a deep work. I know it's a deep work, but I pray that you'll do it. We trust in you. We trust for your help. Make us a fruitful people. 